friends. Welcome to episode 16 of the Delgado Podcast, a show featuring academics, authors, artists, and people who challenge the way we think and how to take action. We're in for a treat today as we learn from Mako Fujimura about his latest book entitled Art and Faith, A Theology of Making, published by Yale University Press. It's a theological and poetic book that explores the ways art and spirituality can interplay. Mako shares how creative acts and making art can help us understand more about God's work in our own lives and how our own creativity can mirror divine creative acts. In this episode, Mako discusses why he wrote this theological book on art and faith. He talks about his writing process and the flow state of creating art. He talks about how he developed a discipline of writing and painting, ways that art and spirituality merge, and how he's continued to create art even amid dark nights of the soul and dealing with trauma. Mako Fujimura is the founder of the International Arts Movement and the Fujimura Institute. He's an award-winning artist, author, and advocate for the arts. He was also the presidential appointee to the National Council on the Arts from 2003 to 2009. Here is our conversation. Mako, I thoroughly enjoyed reading your book. And when I was, this is my very first time ever reading one of your books before. So when I was approaching it, I thought, oh, I'm going to read about art and I love art. And what I didn't realize was your book is very much like a theology book. The way that you express theology through art and the way you talk about how art has influenced your theology and kind of like how faith, art and theology kind of intertwines was yeah. just absolutely beautiful. And I wanted to find out from you, like, what led you to write, like, really a theological work? Yeah, so this is my life work. Um, and, you know, I think what happened was the manuscript is uh, three times the length that it is now. Uh, and my editor did a really good job of uh, trimming it down to a manageable chunk, I think. So, you know, I, I, I think there's several, uh, even, even more uh, to say about this because it is something that I've been thinking about for a long time, for, you know, close to 30 years uh, doing my art practice, but then realizing slowly, um, even intuitively, I understood that there was a connection between God and what we do as makers. Uh, uh, almost, almost this direct connection uh, that, you know, I, I thought was very unique to artists. And uh, so, I, you know, you don't talk about these uh, experiences. And, and yet, as I found um, that the Bible is full of these examples and, and actually when, you know, when Jesus or St. Paul talks about, uh, you know, this abundance, of creation and 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 the invocation into new creation, it was as if it was a uh, uh, you know letter directed to artists and and people who are makers, and and yet we also know that that's an invitation that is given to all of us. Um, so, and yet the church, when you look at um, how the gospel is preached right now, and you know. Um, Especially in, you know, in what's known as post postmodern times, it 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 just tends to gravitate toward very 
uh, almost this truncated view, which which N.T. Wright talks about in his books, and and so it's 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 this conversation that I've been having uh, with myself and few others for decades, and um, I wrote the book Culture Care. Um, I wrote it as an arts advocate, you know, I wrote it as somebody who care about not just my, what I do as an artist, but, but also something that I care about deeply for, you know, culture at large. And so instead of, you know, fighting culture wars, why don't we spend time thinking about how we can till the soil of culture and make it, you know, pass it on to the next generation? looking at culture as an ecosystem or a garden to steward rather than um, a battleground to fight over. And um, I've had, you know, as a believer, I, I always felt that there were theological principles behind each. Uh, so you can even look at Culture Care uh, book and uh, each chapter, which is a lecture unto uh, themselves. And, and I have you know, theological principles behind them, but I don't reveal that because I am uh, speaking to a larger, wider, um, I can't assume that people are, you know, Christians. And so when I take note of that and I, I, I write extensively about those theological principles, you know, it was, it was kind of obvious that I, what, as you noted, what I am doing in the studio as an artist and as an arts advocate is, is theological work. Even though I may be defending the arts, uh, you know, part of the National Council on the Arts of National Endowment for the Arts, you know, I was appointed by President Bush to serve uh, there at, at, at the highest level of arts advocacy in the United States. And, and you know, I'm speaking to the public, uh, you know, let's say in the museum about why the um, endowment, the projects that we're doing is so important for American culture. You know, I, I'm, I'm arguing for uh, this assumption of abundance uh, in a time when everybody believes that everything is, you know, up for grabs and it's a scarcity, zero-sum gain. And I, 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 I say, well, artists don't believe that. They, they, <laughs> they actually may not have anything, you know, any resources, but they still create, they still write, they, they, they still practice, you know, their dance. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's not, it's not dependent on the economy or the uh, transactional reality of the market. It's very unique. And, um, and then I look at theology and theology in general has become very utilitarian and pragmatic. It, it, it just becomes transactional. You know, it, it, we're creating spectacles and trying to do mega churches and, you know, uh, just, you know, even as good as, you know, groups like Hillsong is doing to create worship experience. You know, you speak to artists inside of that system, uh, not just necessarily Hillsong, it's just all over. Um, you know, people who are musicians and composers and people who are makers, and I, I see them struggling as people who are kind of um, under siege by this, uh, you know, utilitarian pragmat pragmatist uh, mindset of um, your only value is how you can serve this, uh, you know, spectacle. And there is no space for uh, individual to be fully artist and fully human that way. 
And so um, I began to think about these things, and and um, it it just became this long <laughs> book. And um, so what my editor did was was to look at that and and uh, create categories. And so uh, this is uh, just the beginning of my journey. But thank you for recognizing that. I I I don't you know I think the initial title was theology of making. And you know, um, Yale decided to put it in a broader uh, context: uh, art and faith um, and uh, theology making. And and I think they are correct in doing that. Um, uh, but really, I wrote it as a um, begin begin writing it as a theological book. It's beautiful, and it's very much you're very poetic in the way that you explain certain concepts. And there are certain points where I had to stop and like reread. It was so moving to me. I wanted to ask, like, as you were kind of in the flow state, like writing this book, because you mentioned like it was actually three times the size. You had so much to say, yeah. and it's been and it's been kind of chopped down. And maybe some of these other pieces will be, at, you know, for a later yeah. book. But like, as you were in this flow state, did you get like that electrical charge that you mentioned, like when you were kind of painting as a child? Yeah. First of all, I'm writing in my studio, right? So I'm painting, and then. You know, while I'm watching my paints dry, I'm literally writing, and and because these things happen, uh, like you noted, when I'm painting, I I, I sense this flow that um, I couldn't explain until I I, I read the Bible. It, it made total sense to me. Uh, the you know the prophets would speak uh, of these visions and um, you know experiences of being filled with the Spirit. You know, the the Pentecost made absolutely perfect sense to me, uh, even though these passages tend to be very difficult to exegete, right, <laughs> for, for rationalists, you know, to do. But um, I, I noted those, those uh, moments, um, uh, and, and, and I'm, I'm fortunate that, you know, I had a type of uh, education uh, that encouraged me to do both, you know, paint and write at the same time. So it's just natural to me to do that. And I, I do that you know, whether I have an audience or not. Um, so these are built up, accumulated over, you know, several decades of just observing what I'm thinking about in the studio and, and the text. You know, oftentimes I would be having my quiet time, you know, in, in the studio. So it just, there's a natural overlap. And I think when you, Yes, when you start to write it um, or speak of it, um, you you get a sense you get overwhelmed with God's presence um, in in what you're thinking about, how you are, and and you know you just ask yourself, is this true? You know, can it be? And am I crazy? You know, <laughs> because as an artist, you know, I have to kind of remind myself that to, often to the world, you know, I, I, what I say sound bit crazy and out of the box and and so you know i'm always like holding back like <laughs> just you know articulating it the way i see it and it was my friendship with dr Ellen davis of duke uh my um you know reading uh nt wright's book and then later meeting him and talking to him directly and he was so generous to affirm what i was experiencing mm. A theologian and, and Mirzoff Wolf is another person that journeyed with me and really encouraged me. You know, like you know, you're not crazy. These are these are really part of what they saw as their theological wrestling to articulate 
what was happening uh, in scriptures and um, and that kind of encouraged me to write it down I, I think you know I have like so many emails going back and forth with these remarkable thinkers of our time and and so fortunate that I, I you know I had the uh, connection there and and so you know and and after a while I felt like that that charge that you're talking about was not you know in, in when you're painting it's it's really focused on you and what you're doing in the studio alone and with writing it, it just felt like I, I you know this this was a charge that was going out into the world and and so it just almost writes itself that way because you know you're interacting um, like this and you're talking to people and you're talking to pastors who are struggling you're talking to artists who are struggling you know and 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 also the other way too. Uh, you know, I was fortunate to sit under Tim Keller's, you know, teaching for mm. 15 years, and you know, I talked to Tim about his experience of preparing for a sermon and delivering a sermon. It's very similar, you know. Mm. It's just this flow to it, and and it's beautiful, and um, you know. So so I began to wonder, like, what what is that um, part of our experience that you know, we can't really teach um, people. Um, it's, it's something that some people have and, um, you know, God's anointing or whatever you want to call it. And I, I think um, that's that's been my experience writing this book. Was it different? Like when you're in the studio painting, you have full control over the final piece and you, and you decide when you're going to be moving on. Like you decide yeah, yeah. when the piece is done. But with writing, Obviously, you have editors, you have other people chiming yeah. in, like, oh, you should probably expand here. So yeah. how is the creative process different yeah, like, in the a, written form? That's a great question. There, there's other thing in, in art as well. You know, you try to keep that part away from the studio when you're painting. And then, you know, when you're dealing with the exhibit and so forth, you really have to edit well. Um, and so that it's, it's kind of a similar process. But I, I think you're right that the writing a book is a collaborative process. You know, you're, you're choosing partners and you're choosing collaborators. And, and uh, the better they are, the better you are, the more that they can push, uh, the better uh, your writing is going to be. So, so, you know, from the get go, I, I, uh, remember at a time, uh, freshman in college at uh, uh, Bucknell University in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. Um, I had grow, grown up in both uh, countries, U.S. and Japan, and I was born in the U.S., went to Sweden, went to Japan, went, came back to middle school in New Jersey, and then went to Bucknell. So my English wasn't was not good. I, I couldn't write at all, and I struggled so much to read and write um, in any language, you know. And, and so my freshman... Um, writing class was basically uh, reading a short story and then write, writing a short essay every week. And I had to hand it on Friday. Oh, wow. On, on, on Thursday, I'm like really struggling. You know? Yeah. I'm, I'm like stuck. And so my professor, uh, Bob Tater, would have me in his office every Thursday afternoon to look at what I had you know, to help me to express. And by the way, he... Um, he 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 saw something in me as well. Even though I was struggling, he he knew there was something in me. So he really pushed me, and uh, and you know, so every Friday I had to hand in that paper, and and then you know, and 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 uh, you know that you like all uh, the entire freshman. Year, I I I can tell you that it was just 
it was just you know painful <laughs> you know, just because because I, I I did understand that the art of writing is difficult it's 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 you know you really have to you know discipline uh, sit under it and 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 learn to do it you know in this this very very tedious ways right and and then um, when I graduated um, like. I don't know, maybe six months later, I was in my apartment in Connecticut and, and I found myself doing the same thing. I, I kept on writing, you know, there was no audience, there was no professor, there was no grade to get, but I kept on writing because that was the discipline that Bucknell education instilled in me. And I, I kept on writing and, and I didn't think I would be an author. I was still struggling with words and expressions. You know, I was more of a painter. Uh, more like perhaps accomplished in, in that way. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing that, you know, um, so, so being that, ex having that experience, you know, I don't, I, I don't think it's easy at all. I think when you are able to communicate something, it's, uh, you're doing the impossible. And so I, I am so appreciative when, um, you know, so you're able to communicate or have, somebody read my book I, i'm still amazed that people read my book and and be able to respond in a deeply meaningful ways and i i just i i'm just blown away um by that but it, it really began as a simple exercise of sitting down writing every day and and then you know um wrestling with paragraph at a time and and so i know it's it's a it's a collaborative process and i still think of it that way and I and I love like how you've drawn on so many amazing writers in in your recent book. You you yeah. quote from Emily Dickinson, William Blake, T. S. Eliot, and then you're also bringing in like N. T. Wright and different theologians. Yeah. And the way you kind of weave between the poetry and the theology. And there was this line. I want to read this to you. I want to get your response okay. because like this was one of the passages that I I highlighted. It gave me goosebumps the way that you express this. It's so beautiful and poetic. So let me just read this. Okay. You write, in between pouring precious pulverized minerals onto handmade paper to create the prismatic, refractive surfaces of my art. Art making to me is a discipline of awareness, prayer and praise. Imagination gives us wings to create, but it's through Christ's tears and the invitation to the feast of God that we can be be partakers of the new creation. I realized I was practicing a devotional liturgy of sorts. I imagine my water-based paint possessed the tears of Christ. I, I underline uh, the alliteration and then the beauty mm. of all like the metaphors and Christ's tears. And mm. obviously you expand on that in the book, but can you comment on that? Like as you were writing that, because it's so beautiful the way that you're expressing <laughs> the the way the spirit's working through you and the art and as you are kind of like responding to that yeah so in that single paragraph is is a uh, is a compression of i would say 20 years of of my past uh life uh painting you know living through 9-11 i ground zero resident and raised my kids there and trauma lingering trauma uh and Giant Evan, you know, Jesus wept, uh, became the uh, pinhole for me to look through the world, and um, and still still is. You know, every season I I would go through Giant Evan and John twelve, 
surrounding passages of Jesus going to Bethany, responding to Martha and Mary's um, desperate cries to, you know, Jesus come because Lazarus is sick and, and he intentionally comes late and Mary is angry and weeping and, and Jesus doesn't say a word but weeps with her and talk about how wasteful that act is because Lazarus is about to be resurrected. So why didn't he just take Mary by the hand and say, you know, you have a little faith, you know, trust in me. I, I have the power to resurrect your brother. And this is why God has, you know, uh, chosen this time, appointed this time for me to come late. Uh, you know, and, and he could have just said that and, and proved his power, but he didn't, right? So in that, you know, what Marvel Dawn, uh, theologian says, you, you know, worship is a royal waste of, waste, waste of time, you know, and, and I think there, there's that sense of gratuity and extravagance that Jesus shows that just for me as an artist is, is so life-giving. Uh, you know, so it's not this God that can fix the problem or, you know, even return us to Eden. But it's, it's, it's this God that, you know, almost needs to be present in our suffering in order to allow us to be partakers of the new creation. So that's a different mindset of, you know, even understanding the gospel, preaching the gospel, uh, praying, you know, and, and so, so when, when those things compress and, you know, I, I, Professor Love Secrets, uh, you know, she, she was, uh, I had some great conversation with her about, um, some of the passages in New Testament. And, and so I had some questions that, you know, she helped me with. And, and she said, it's, it's, you know, so what is this book about? And I said, it's about, Christ tears, you know, uh, that's the pinhole. I'm going to look through everything through that. And, and, and by the way, this is what I've been doing in my art for some time since the Crossway project to illumine the four holy gospels uh, in 2011. I was commissioned to do um, this uh, by illumined Bible. Uh, it was the first time that a Bible company has commissioned a single artist to illumine the four holy gospels. And um, it was so daunting. Uh, and that, you know, I had to narrow down my focus. And so that's when I decided John 11, 35, Jesus wept, will be the pinhole through which I do everything. You know, and that kind of, that kind of spilled over into other projects and uh, certainly uh, this book. And that, that speaks to, you do have a big section dealing with lament and grief and navigating life and art during those periods. That I found very encouraging because sometimes we think about the good times like, oh, that's the great time to create art is when things are going well. The hardest time is when we, we go through trauma and, and you experience 9-11 and then you also talk about your mom dying. Like yeah. those traumatic moments, those are sometimes the most difficult times to write or do any sort of art. How how have you kind of like used those times of lament and grief to uh, move on in your art? Yeah, um, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I think, I think you draw upon your discipline and that's why you perhaps work so hard to develop, uh, you know, kind of a rhythm in your life and stay with something, you know, Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours. Um, when you have that 
10,000 hours, you, uh, you don't need um, the sink to be able to show up. You know, there, there were traumatic moments in last, uh, I would say, five years of my life. Um, I walked some of the darkest places and, and I would show up in my studio it, just simply to show up. I, I, I don't even remember painting and I, I had executed this painting called Silence and Beauty, which is 33 feet long. <laughs> and I literally, don't wow. I mean, I, wow. I was at, you know, the studio in Pasadena, Eric Ty, my, one of my fellows was helping me, um, I have photos to prove that I was there, but but it's almost like this this sense that I was operating on another level of um, you know, be, just just being present, and I I think myself you know given to myself I would not have chosen to do that apart from the discipline of showing up every morning you know early in the morning mixing pigments. You know those, those things. Uh, you know you don't really think about, right? You you just it's it's just like you know baseball player before going to bat. You know it's like you don't think about how you prepare, and and so that saved me. You know that that was what and slowly you know I started to remember. Slowly I began to understand that you know what I was doing was in itself reflection of God's presence in my life. Um, and God has given me a gift that could, you know, you don't have to. I mean, I, I could choose not to uh, show up, but, and, uh, you know, there, there was this palpable sense that the Holy Spirit was um, speaking through that time the most because I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, I, I felt like I couldn't do anything, you know, and and so that was a powerful experience for me. That when I look at those paintings now, they're they're by the way they're some of the best paintings I've ever done because I'm not there. <laughs> it's just completely, wow. you know, and, and and I'm looking at it. I'm like, I did this, and and I remember that um, just feeling so inadequate, so in, inept not being able to even feel like I can get up in the morning and go to the studio. But, you know, fortunately, I had the discipline to fall back on. What advice do you have for those of us who struggle, like in those periods? Like you're saying that you're, you, you're going back to the discipline and that kind of, that helped you a lot to just like yeah. get back to work. And then you say like, it's basically this moment of like, where that moment at the time is almost like it wasn't there. Like you don't remember it. But you obviously created this, these masterpieces, but you don't remember being there because of the grief and really the trauma. Yeah. And it reminds you of kind of like the Jason Bourne storyline where he goes through a traumatic event and yeah. he's like has amnesia, doesn't remember like what happened. And it's not till later where he like starts to see newspaper clippings and you're like you're seeing the actual pictures. Yeah. Oh, I was there. Yeah. Yeah, that's very similar. I, I actually love the movie because it, it reminds me so much of uh, some of my experience. And right, Jason Bourne. I mean, I mean, he know he's been trained right to to do what he yet he doesn't know how he's doing it sometimes. And and so I, I think that's very much at the heart of um, and and I I would say to those who are in that space now, um, 
I understand. I mean, I, I know what that feels like. I know that, you know, there's nothing that I can say to, you know, even help in that situation. But I also know that God is so powerfully present in our suffering that God would much rather completely um, have no purpose or no, um, you know, um, reason um, that, uh, but, but God would prefer to waste time with us uh, as, a, as a friend, as, 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 as a, even a soldier in a, uh, for Christ. And, and I know that because I've been there and, you know, I, I, I realize that's, um, that's a reality that biblical promises, right? That, um, you know, this hope with a capital H, you know, is, is so present, um, in our world. And, and, and so that, that's the tragedy of it is that when we create, a, you know, what Bonhoeffer called cheap grace, you know, that, that it's easy for people to, um, buy into it perhaps, but it doesn't reach the depth of our trauma and our fears, our anxieties. Um, God is not only present there, you know, just as much as, uh, uh God will be present in our joys and uh, feasting, but it, God is, uh, God is so palpably present. Um, and, and, uh, you know, by the way, if you feel like, you know, you're a writer or you're an artist, you can't create anything. That's okay too. You know, I, 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 I want to make sure that, you know, what I just said, uh, the story of my journey is not in any ways a, a, a demand on to create anything. Um, it's okay just to be present. It's okay just to, uh, you know, weep. It's, it's okay. It's okay that nothing gets done. Um, because I, I really believe at the end of the day, if you are a creator, you will create. Um, your tears will become part of your language. And, and that, that's, um, I, I know that too. I love that. I love you just said about your tears will become your language. And I also like the phrase you used um, just now about um, the wasting, the t- wasting of time. And that's something that you also addressed in the book, how back in the industrial age, like if it wasn't like useful, then why are you doing it? And sometimes art is kind of put in that category of like, well, that's not really productive society. And like, you're just busy in your room doing your art. But that's not like helping society. Um, but what you just said about like listening, especially when people are going through times of grief, trauma, and you're like, there's nothing I can say, but you're, you're saying like, oh, but you can be listening. You can be there for that person and just sit with them. Just like God sits with us in our grief. And that's such an important um, message you're sending right now. Yeah, thank you. I do think part of what we're missing in culture, um, because of this heightened sense of you know culture has become culture wars, and and um, we have stopped listening at all, and we we even lost that capacity. And um, so the best thing that the church can do is to create moments and space where People can literally listen to each other and serve each other. And, you know, I'm afraid it's it's a shouting match and it's not very helpful for us to find heating uh, when we're, you know, like 
literally fighting culture wars instead of preaching the gospel. Um, that that's a you know really sad way that Christians have seen themselves and the church has become this way of um, really doing the opposite of the fruit of the spirit, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, you know, goodness, self-control. You look at every one of those qualities of love that Paul lists, and we're doing the opposite as a church. You know, instead of love, we're hating people. Instead of joy, you know, we feel like the, you know, the, these people are, have grievances against everybody. You know? And um, we're not caring for our neighbors. I mean, you know, so so these 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 things um, fundamentally, in in a way, um, you know, I must say this may sound harsh, but we have as a church failed to address the trauma of our time. Um, and um, there's huge exceptions to this, uh, but uh, in general, the church has not uh, been able to be a place of making, a uh, place of feasting, place of listening, place of um, accepting those who are different from us, um, even those who may be our enemies. Um, and I don't, Say that because I, you know, I think it's easy to do. I say that because it's it's, it's impossible, <laughs> you know, apart from the Holy Spirit, um, apart from Jesus's presence, it's impossible to do that. But you know, we're called to impossible. We are, we're, you know, art is always about the impossible, and we are always walking on water. We're seeing burning bushes everywhere, <laughs> you know, and and we dare to see and describe that to the world, disbelieving world that cannot hear that at all. But we have to keep doing it because that's the prophetic voice of the Holy Spirit coming out of our works, our music, our theater, our dances. And, and you know, that that's, that's part of the reason why I wrote this book was, was to try to bridge that gap a little bit from the church side, yes, but from the artist side as well, because the artists, you know, have kind of given in to this uh, kind of narcissistic, you know, uh, darkness of, of our time, self-expression and, and fragmentation and causing transgression for the sake of transgression rather than, you know, uh, this, this holy transgression, you know, of, of creating disruptions so that we can be prophetic and then we can create something out of that. One of your call to actions you just said is about this like theology of making, this theology of feasting, this theology of uh, listening. And part of that is born out of this heart of empathy that you're speaking about. And that's really missing a lot of our churches, this empathy for the trauma, the systemic racism, the things that are going on in our country right now amid COVID. How can we cultivate more empathy as artists, as creators, as makers, as listeners? So, you know, what a remarkable time, right, we live in. And and I, I don't say this lightly uh, because so many people are suffering. But I think 2020 is 2020. You know, 2020 is when we have seen the depth of darkness that certainly in America, this nation um, has always had. You know, it's been hidden. It's been revealed. And I feel like, praise God for that, you know, and, and, and COVID-19 pandemic, as dangerous and, and fearsome and awful 
um, and devastating as that is, right? And losing so many lives. What, what we have to know is that there's not a single person on this earth who is not experiencing this. <laughs> That's something to build on. You know, I, when I experienced 9-11, you know, there were residents in lower Manhattan and Washington and other places that experienced it directly. And when I get together with them, they, we don't have to talk. You know, they, 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 we just have this instant understanding of what we've been through. And I, I you know, I was at 20th commemoration um, me- memorial for Columbine High School. And one of the survivors came out to me and said, I, I read your book and I just want you to know that you're welcome here. And I wow. wasn't expecting that, you know, from from a traumatic survivor of Columbine High School. But I understand what that means. Now we can all be survivors, right? What does that mean? Well, it means that the church has something to say <laughs> to those who, who are in darkness, you know, has come a great light, you know, and, and by his wounds will be healed. God knows what we're going through and God is present in our sufferings. And, and so, so that means that when we make anything, whether it be, you know, artists like me or writers or filmmakers, or whatever, but when we simply make that simple gesture this day to say that despite everything, I'm going to cook a pie, <laughs> plant a tree, <laughs> you know, um, you know, I'm gonna, waste time with my children. I'm going to waste time with my neighbors. Something happens. Something breaks in because everybody is a survivor. And, and you, you can talk to them. They, they will have common empathy, understanding that we never had before. And so I said, I this is an amazing opportunity for us, amazing opportunity for the church, uh, amazing opportunity for artists, because artists have antennae that you know, kind of gravitate towards these moments of um, intimate uh, creation of, you know, connections that are deeper than how we can articulate them. And and when we make, we don't even have to think about it. It'll just happen. It'll just come out. And and so I think, you know, in many ways, um, I am really, you know, so I, I don't say this lightly at all, but I, I, I am really grateful for this year. Um, who have given us clarity and and um, and moving forward, you know, it, it, it's it's a year to uh, really build upon and to and to share that in in a common table, where uh, all of us have something, you know, experience something similar, and we can we can be uh, a true community that way. Well, Mark, I want to thank you so much for for sharing your approach to art and faith and how it all intertwines in your life and giving us a map on how to think about these things for ourselves and also just the challenges you've given us in the book um, to be driven by empathy, to be thinking about the things that we're doing, the art that we're creating, um, how we're listening, how everything we say, how it matters. Yeah. And um, so thank you so much for giving us this theology of art, this roadmap for us. Yeah, so, you know, it, what's amazing about this, Mike, is that, you know, it, it's one thing if it's like uh, me painting and, you know, you creating and, and the audience doing something. And that is itself a generative act. But I believe, and this is where, you know, I rely so much on N.T. Wright's theology, but I believe that 
those things will remain in new creation. It will be amplified, multiplied. And that's, that's an amazing promise and hope, right? So when we get up every day and we're faced with this scarcity reality and, and we don't have nothing, you know, we don't have anything to give, whatever we can create as done in faith will remain. God is not only going to multiply that, but God may create a new world with that. <laughs> that's just mm. mind-boggling what you think you know so uh, you know so so it doesn't matter what stage of life you're in or where you are young or old or whatever you you do you're faithful to what you're given to do and it's going to reverberate into creation and i think that leads us to like your benediction at the end where yes. you talk about may our sandcastles created in faith yes. Yeah. turn into permanent grand mansions like that's the idea like <laughs> we right. think it's so you know in this moment but you're saying right. like oh no get, done in it's faith. gonna get washed away right yeah 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 yeah. <laughs> they're like oh if it's done in faith this is gonna turn into a permanent mansion it's like oh my gosh like so many so many moments like that in your book that are just bringing me goosebumps so thank you again for um <laughs> for this yeah and may we all walk into that grand mansion that god is building <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this conversation with Mako Fujimura about his latest book entitled Art and Faith, A Theology of Making. It's a beautiful book that expresses the ways faith and art interplay and a call for all of us to be creators and artists. This conversation has inspired me to be more bold in my own creative projects and try out some new things I've never done before. So today's conversation leads us to this episode's question. Mako talked about how he disciplined himself to write and create on a daily basis and how that discipline helped him through some very difficult times. Has this conversation inspired you to take action on some creative acts or to create a new discipline or a new habit? Let me know by messaging me on Instagram, TikTok, or Twitter at Delgado Podcast. Next time, we're going to learn from musical artist and author Michael Card about his latest book entitled The Nazarene, which provides us with 40 devotionals about the lyrical life of Jesus. So that's next time. And if you found this podcast helpful in any way, please let me know by rating the show on iTunes and or leaving a comment. Your vote can help this show get more visibility. Thank you so much. Take care. And we'll chat more next time.